I guess my my first question to you, Steve, would be what surprises you the most about Buffalo Bill? Because you you obviously know a lot about him. You directed his uh, museum for, for a number of years. Uh, You've read a lot, researched a lot. Um, so what's the biggest surprise for you about his life? Wow. That's a tough one. When I go back to, uh, I, I say this in the introduction to the book, that I was about age eight when I first encountered Buffalo Bill. I was reading these little blue biographies of various famous people that were in my public school library. And this was one of them. He was one of my favorite stories or the characters that they talked about. Then I became surprised that there were other Buffalo Bills. But then uh, I grew as I you know, went into history and all, I realized that there was really primarily two Buffalo Bills that really earned the name. The other one being Buffalo Bill Matthewson in Wichita, who had hunted buffalo for some of the settlers along the Santa Fe Trail. But he, he didn't really go out and promote the Wild West or anything. So really, Buffalo Bill is the one and only Buffalo Bill. <laughs> and what I am surprised about, not so much about Buffalo Bill's life, but about all the bad information, the misinformation that is out there about his life and what he did. Does that answer that question fairly sure. well? Well, yeah, because I, I, think I think people people who are listening in probably have their own take on Buffalo Bill because I think a lot of folks are aware that, that he did a show, a Wild West show, because it was so popular and traveled so widely. But I don't know, and, and your book brings it out, the the intricacies of that show, the the dining that went on for the, well, for Buffalo Bill, but but for the staff, for the people he carried around. I had no idea that there were that many people involved uh, with that show as it grew. And that's, that was amazing, a production. Indeed. You could almost, I mean, they used the term greatest show on earth, or was it the Ringling Brothers or Barnum yeah. and Bailey? And you could almost say this was the greatest show on earth at the time. Uh, there were certainly circuses out there. And later on, actually, Buffalo Bill associated with um, uh, Bailey. And uh, uh, James Bailey became part of his show or worked with his show and was uh, actually an investor in the show. But it, it really was, in some ways, one of the greatest shows on earth. Greatest not only in terms of size, but in many ways, the impact that that show had on uh, the way Americans look at themselves in some ways in terms of the Wild West and our frontier, as well as the way particularly Europe looks at America. Europe, I've traveled in Europe, but kind of tracking Buffalo Bill's steps uh, as part of uh, my research over the years. And the European impact is probably even greater than it is uh, in, in the United States. Now I have to pause for a moment. Did you just hear my clock in the background? No. Good, good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm realizing I have a cuckoo clock. Oh, uh, that's all right. Giving its undertones to my commentary here. Well, we we like all those uh, sort of background noises that they, they add flavor to the show. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> no, I think people might be interested to know, and and we're talking with uh, Steve Friesen, the the author of Galloping Gourmet, which is a you know eating and drinking with Buffalo Bill. He you know he starts off, and, and in your book you you kind of characterize the uh, uh, the evolution, if that's the right word, of Buffalo. But you know he was the scout, he was the buffalo hunter, he was all these things that we kind of associate with the legend of it. I guess you could say the legend of Buffalo Bill. 
And then he went, I, I don't want to use this term uh, unfairly, Hollywood, if you would. I mean, he went to, to really make show of it and did it his way. Uh, would that be correct? What's your take on that? Well, well, certainly. And, and quite frankly, the Hollywood thing is a little later, if you will. And that is he had a lot of influence on Hollywood later uh, adopting uh, cowboy movies as one of the most popular genres in film. And that had a lot to do with the popularity of Buffalo Bill and his Wild West. But I think what first a lot of people think he was just a showman, but he was so much more. And he based he based his shows on his own experiences in the West authenticity in his shows was very important to him where other shows might have had people pretending to be American Indians. He wanted to make sure he had real American Indians communicating their culture, demonstrating their culture. And a previous book that I have done called Lakota performers in Europe deals with that role that Buffalo Bill uh, Wild West played in helping the Indians perpetuate their culture at a time when uh, U.S. government policy really was to kind of put it down and, and eliminate it. But they were able to do that kind of thing. And it was because Buffalo Bill wanted the authenticity. And it was as important for him to have people come and see the American Indians, specifically the, the Lakota, having a, sort of an experience of everyday life at the show. You could visit them uh, before and after the show began. And then, of course, I deal at some length in here uh, with the American Indians, again, more specifically the Lakota, who um, were performers. And their uh, experiences in the show, the eating they did, and even, to be quite frank, my wife's not real excited that I included this, but the dog feasts. Mm -hmm. that they would do as yeah. a regular annual ritual. <laughs> right. So now there was a you had it in your book. I I know <clears throat> we're talking Steve Friesen about the uh, Buffalo Bill and the Wild West shows. The uh I think there was some a point where the uh, Native Americans on the show were having complaint about food or something not being served. I, I can't remember exactly. You you would know. But Buffalo Bill said to to the staff Hey, these guys are our main attraction, so they get what they need. I mean, he he backed them not not just hundred percent, but made it clear they were they were what the show really the first and foremost to the show. Oh yes, and and uh, they actually in that instance they had been served leftover pancakes for breakfast. Okay, and, or not for breakfast. I think it was for lunch or dinner. In fact. And uh, they complained to him and he said, oh, no, they have to get everything they want. And in fact, I have a few quotes in there uh, from a couple of performers saying, oh, yeah, we we were well fed. And the other thing is they could have steak every meal, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And that was the case for all performers in the show. Buffalo Bill paid everybody well. He paid the American Indians, uh, the Lakota again. Uh, and there were other other uh, Indian tribes occasionally represented. He paid them as well as he paid anybody else in the show. And the other thing is he paid well. There was no reason for anybody in Buffalo Bill's Wild West to consider unionization because they were treated so well. They were paid so well that they had great loyalty to him. And this is something that maybe bosses and managers could keep in mind today. He had great loyalty to his employers. He was a straight shooter with them, and he he did what he could to uh, advocate for their rights, 
to protect them in terms of um, any problems they ran across, he was out there trying to help them out with. It, it surprised me, Steve, because <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> pardon me, I wasn't as familiar as I should be with with that period of history. But it surprised me that uh, Buffalo Bill put these Wild West shows on for. I mean, you could talk about other shows he did too, but thirty years uh, with that Wild West uh, formula. That seems like an extremely long time to be traveling all over the place in the rails and with carrying all that food. And and that, I mean, it would be one thing. I mean, it would be hard to imagine. That would be very arduous, I would think. It, it was indeed. And in fact, Annie Oakley, uh, and I quote her a couple of times in the book uh, where she's talking about how, how they ate and what they ate. Annie Oakley in 1901, after they had, and this was a danger of travel back in that time, after a rather a bad train accident where she was injured, uh, she decided to stop traveling uh, with the Wild West. And at that point, they, uh, she and Buffalo Bill parted uh, parted ways quite amicably. Mm -hmm. Wild West show. He, he it, likes that life. Like, would you it, say? It's kind of like a lifestyle. It's yeah. kind of like a lifestyle. And you get into it, there's a certain adrenaline rush, rush to show business. I mean, look at Mick Jagger today. Yeah. He doesn't have to tour. Right. He does that tour because of the, the rush, if you will, that he gets from doing it. These guys, after people in show business will often say it's that feeling that they get being in front of those people. Uh, that that keeps them going and and what is Mick is over 80 years old now and he's still traveling Buffalo Bill didn't make that long make it that long but I think he could very well have traveled to 80 if he wanted to and in fact he continued traveling uh, until uh, a few months before his death actually he continued on the road with the uh, Wild West shows and and you know you had a great line in there Steve uh, even as the West that he knew disappeared he would live it on a daily basis <clears throat> because he he really did span a, a very interesting period of history where, you know, we had the West, you know, as we know at the frontier and all of that. And, and perhaps legends accompany that, um, that period, <clears throat> but he lived it right into the 20th century when it became kind of a memory or, or, you know, here, here's what we had, or here's what we, you know, we celebrate, I guess. Well, well, just like Buffalo Bill's sort of gourmet aspect of his life, a lesser known aspect of his life is the fact that he went on and did some films. And in those films, he tried to recreate scenes from the past, scenes from the West, in a way, a bridge between the Wild West shows, which are live action, and then the action that you see in the movies later on. He he bought into that or got involved with that early filmmaking enterprise, again, trying to show people the Wild West, the experience of the American West that he had so that they could get a sense of what, what it really was about. Now, one of the things you 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 focus on in the book uh, is is the food, the the feeding of the troops, the 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 foods that Buffalo Bill himself fancied, uh, and which is a pretty varied group. I mean, he he lived the good life. You mentioned Mick Jagger a little bit ago. Um, you know, I'm sure Mick uh, eats pretty well on the road uh, when he goes out on these tours, and and so did Buffalo Bill, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They he ate very well. And in fact, uh, there are quotations, again, that are in the book where they'll say that um, P. 
people who work in the Wild West eat as well as anybody who would be eating at one of the finest hotels in Boston or New York. Uh, Buffalo Bill enjoyed the good life. He enjoyed gourmet fare. And he made sure the people who worked with him had access to that as well. So again, he, you have steaks, breakfast, lunch, dinner. You could have chicken fricassee. There was a, a favorite of, interesting enough, the Prince of Wales, which was chicken Maryland style. And the Prince of Wales came to eat with Buffalo Bill and they ate in a tent right next to the regular dining tent, sort of a private tent in that case, I think that Buffalo Bill had. And, and the Prince of Wales liked it so much, he asked for the recipe so he could give it to his cook and they could cook ch uh, chicken Maryland style for him. So if you came to visit as a dignitary, whether you are a prince, a king, a president, or just a newspaper reporter, right? Uh, you were you were a guest at Buffalo Bill's table, and you ate the same food that his people ate. He he had a unique um, place at the uh, Columbian Exposition in in Chicago, eighteen ninety three. What they set up camp there? What for the six months or something like that for the period that that uh, that show was yes. on. They actually opened a month earlier than the show, and I think they then closed right about the same time as the show did in, in the fall. I think Buffalo Bill opened in April, and the show ended in October. Um, the, the exposition, I mean, the right. World Communist Exposition. So he got a little bit of a jump on it, and it, it, it was extremely popular. Um, almost as many people visited Buffalo Bill's Wild West as they did the World Columbian Exposition. One of the reasons being, if you got off the train, you had a choice. You could turn left, if you will, and go into the exposition, or you could turn right and go into Buffalo Bill's Wild West. They had an uh, uh, arena seating 20,000 people, and that arena was filled twice a day, every day of the week for the entire time that the show was in Chicago. So Buffalo Bill actually left that show a millionaire. And in those days, you had to have a lot of people come to your show to make a million dollars which uh, at that time, that million dollars would be a close to who knows how many million today sure. in our money. And the, you know, the other thing that, and you, you can tell us, Steve, it seemed like the the, the staff grew, the, the show grew over the years because you had, I think, one reference to like 600 people on the road, and then it grew up to a, as high as 1,500. Uh, yes, was that a long-standing period, or was that sort of at the end of the, the run? How, how did that go? Well, I think that 1500 was probably something that started about uh, 1909 when he combined his show with Pawnee Bills. It was called Pawnee Bills Far East. But Pawnee Bills got his start with Buffalo Bill and then opened a rival show, and they were kind of rivals with each other until 1909, at which point... The, the, to be quite frank, the visitation of the Wild West shows was starting to drop because of competition from movies and right. other kinds of events. So they combined their shows. And I think at that point, that was when it grew to that size. And one of the things I also point out in the book is they had people from all over the world. They changed the show every year, added to it, that kind of thing. And they had people from the entire world. In fact, they had people from every continent demonstrating primarily horsemanship skills and other skills that might have been used on their own frontiers right. in those different countries. 
That's that's fascinating. Now, the, the circus, did it parallel the Wild West? Because you mentioned uh, Bailey, I think, that uh, and, and you know, there were connections here. How did that work? There were circuses going around the same time the Wild West was going around. Oh, yeah. There were. And in fact, there were a number of Wild West shows, none of them quite as successful or as important, if you will, or iconic, if you will, mm -hmm. as Buffalo Bill's Wild West. But there was Pawnee Bill's Wild West. There are a number of other people that had shows of that nature going around. At the same time, there were circuses. So you have, after 1850, particularly, though, after the, the Transcontinental Railroad is built, you can reach every part of America by rail. And so these all of these shows are traveling all across America. Right. When Buffalo Bill gets involved with uh, Bailey, uh, James Bailey, at that point, what they work out is Buffalo Bill will be traveling in Europe when James Bailey and Barnum and Bailey Circus will be traveling in America. Then Bailey's Barnum and Bailey Circus goes to Europe and Buffalo Bill's Wild West comes back to America and they use each other's rolling stock and they don't compete with each other that way. Oh. So that was going on for a while under his his arrangement with uh, James Bailey of Barnum and Bailey. The the thing you get from uh, reading your book, Steve, is that one thing that uh, Buffalo Bill was, I mean, he he really uh, uh, obviously was a great uh, marksman and, and a, a, you know, he, he enjoyed being out in the West and all that. But he really he really knew how to promote. I mean, he he treated people right. He, he treated the press right. I mean, he, he knew where his, uh, he knew his, if he wanted to get good press, he knew how to do it. You know, I mean, it seemed like uh, this guy was pretty astute. He was, and he had basically someone you could have called his sidekick, who was James Burke, uh -huh. who actually, people who study marketing, apparently, this is one of the things they study is some of the things Burke did as part of the Wild West in promotion. And you had this very aggressive promoter, Burke. You have Buffalo Bill, who has him is smart enough to keep Burke on as his marketing guy. And the two of them basically are doing this amazing job of promoting the Wild West. Buffalo Bill was charismatic. He exercised the charisma to maximum advantage. And he liked people. People liked him. Yeah. I think that's... That comes across because it doesn't seem to matter where he went, or or you know you know the various hotels or the towns, uh, the countries. Uh, the, he was a favored uh, guest and and left his mark there. I mean, it's it just seems like that's you mentioned how the impact of uh, his show on the West, on on Europe, uh, the, you know, kind of hey uh, you know cowboys over there in the, in America, you know, largely because of some of the things he did, you know. Oh, yes. It had a great deal of impact. And when I have traveled to some of the towns in Europe where Buffalo Bill was, you talk with people. Oh, yeah, we know about Buffalo Bill. Uh, and, and that's kind of interesting because I think probably Buffalo Bill's name is in some ways better known by people in Europe than it is in the United States. Or, as I said earlier on, people in the United States have some ideas about Buffalo Bill that are incorrect. They think, oh, he exploited the Indian. Well, as we've talked, he did not exploit the Indians. In fact, he advocated for their rights and, and helped them meet with presidents and important people in Washington whenever the show was in town. 
uh, Buffalo Bill was the kind of guy who cared about the environment. And people keep saying, oh, he killed all the buffalo. No, he had a buffalo for meat earlier than that period of time when the, the near extinction of the buffalo happened. So uh, he was very concerned about the loss of and spoke up that the buffalo are disappearing too rapidly. We have to do something to protect them. So there's some bad information out there. And I think in America, for the most part, uh, some of that has muddied up people's understanding of who Buffalo Bill was. Talking with Steve Friesen. One last thing, Steve, and that's you you, um, I, you really cover this well, I think, in the book. The book is The Galloping Gourmet. And uh, just it's a fascinating study. It's a history, but it's it's a, you know, it's sort of a look behind the, the curtain, if you will, a little bit, because the preparation for all that food for the for the the, the crew that he had. And he treated them so well. I mean, they had refrigerator cars, and you get into a lot of the detail. They had that special thing. Then, was what do they do? They it came off the railroad car, and then they automatically started cooking or something. It was a range wagon made. Range up wagon. To, there we go. Yeah, and it, they they sort of put together about eight cook stoves. Of course, these are all wood burning cook stoves, and they would cook. Well, okay, you have fifteen hundred people who need breakfast. <laughs> so when they pull into the town, that's the first thing that gets off the train car, as you said. And they're cooking breakfast, even as everybody's out there pitching the tents and everything. They come back hungry, hungry, and they're they're lit serving literally thousands of pancakes and eggs to these guys. And if you want it, steak on the side. Oh my goodness! I tell you, that you mentioned Buffalo Bill got into movies early on, obviously. Uh, in the silent era, because uh, that's from, you know, he, he died in what, 1917? So he can't, yes. yeah. Um, but but I'm thinking now in, in this age of streaming, uh, we, need a, we need a Buffalo Bill movie because, uh, you know, about his, and you could pick a, a period or, you know, I don't necessarily need a biopic, but you could do that. But I, I think just a, a look at how that operation worked on the road and, recreating that that'd be you know you need your cast of thousands for that thing <laughs> they, yes. they need you steve you need to work on that screenplay i'll tell you uh that's that's a great one well steve well, we gotta... if, if, if there are any um hollywood producers out there i'd be happy to work with you <laughs> very good well we thank you steve because uh it's it's great insight great history and uh yeah, let's let's straighten out some of the misinformation about Buffalo Bill because I think this is a character. You know, I'm thinking I've done podcasts on recent books on Will Rogers and some other people. I think Buffalo Bill qualifies in that category of you know great Americans that uh, you know we know the name, but perhaps we don't know enough about them, and that's always good. And that's great that you you've written the book and, and done so much about the research on Buffalo Bill. We thank you, Steve. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed talking with you. <laughs> Take care. And I, I okay. love that shirt, by the way. So there we go. <laughs> it's appreciated. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.